Let me start by asking a question. What are the two most significant holidays that are associated with the Christian religion? And it's not Super Bowl Sunday and Fourth of July, Mike. Okay, I know what you're going to say. That's not. That's not what it is. Okay, good. Easter and Christmas, and all those. Although those two days are not um, specifically stated in the Bible, they're based on something. And we do talk a lot about the birth of Jesus Christ, and rightfully so, but I would suggest to you that if it were not for Christ's resurrection, we would not celebrate Christmas as, as, uh, as we do. Because the birth of Christ really does not get its power unless the resurrection happens. And so um, today we're going to, to see that, that we're going to talk about this foundational understanding of the, the, Christian, uh, the, the Christian religion, basically the, the understanding that we have from the Scriptures that uh, Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 15, 17-19. And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is worthless. It's futile. You are still in your sins. So then those... Also, who have died in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. And then you see there on your handout, um, let me grab one for myself there, this quote by Sir Norman Anderson. He says, Either the resurrection is infinitely more than a beautiful story, or else it is infinitely, infinitely less. If it is true, then, it is the supreme fact of history and to fail to adjust one's life to its implication means irreparable loss. If it's not true, if Christ is not risen, then Christianity is all a fraud foisted on the world by consummate liars or at best, deluded simpletons. This week we want to consider the amazing claim that Jesus Christ um, was not only crucified on behalf of of sinners, as we looked at last week, but that three days later he arose from the dead. We're going to look at the resurrection according to the gospel account in the book of Mark, and uh, as well as some other passages. But before we do that, um, let's review the last two weeks briefly. Who can summarize for me what we learned two weeks ago? The first leg to the stool of Christianity, of saving faith, of the gospel. What's the first leg, and what, what does it mean? Anyone? It's up there on the board. It's kind of hard to see, though. Jesus is what? The Son of God. Okay, and what, is, what did that mean? What is, what is that fact that Jesus is the Son of God? What does that mean for us? Remember, we, we started in the first couple chapters of the book of Mark, and we looked at his miracles, the things that he did. So what what does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God? Right. He has authority. That's the main thing. And we talked about several ways that that authority is addressed. One is to forgive sins. We saw that he had authority over people, that he could just call with his voice and people would follow him. He has the authority to heal. He has the authority to um, to forgive, to punish sin, to conquer death. Obviously, we, we saw some um, cases where Jesus raised people from the dead, and now we're going to see Himself being raised. All right, so um, last week, what was it that we talked about? What was the second fact about the Christian 
um, the Christian gospel that we have to understand in order to be saved. That Jesus is the Son of God, and then last week was what? Jesus was the crucified, or Jesus is the crucified. And this was a very important fact to the gospel. Without it, we cannot be saved. And uh, we talked about the idea that Jesus took upon Himself our sin, and we said that, that, um, that this sin, our hand right here represents us, this represents our book full of sins. Okay, this, this makes up the, the whole of our life, and God is the ceiling. And so between us and God is all the account of our sin, right? And then we said over here was Jesus Christ. And He had this other book full of all the things that He did in His life, but He has no sin. Instead, He has perfect righteousness, fully obeying God's law. And what happened was, is Jesus, when He died on the cross, God put all of our sin, all of our guilt, our shame onto Him. And so that now he was in disfavor between himself and God. And that's why we saw that the, the sky turned dark. God turned his back on his son. And, um, and not only that, we were able to take upon ourselves Jesus Christ's righteousness. So now we don't have this standing where between us and God is sin. Instead, we now have this standing before God where we have Jesus Christ's righteousness. And so uh, the the death of Jesus Christ is very important to the Christian gospel. Now, before we go any farther, let's um, when we closed last week, I asked you to read Mark chapter 6 through 10 and write and uh, and come up with some questions if you had any. So, if you did that, did you have any questions, something that was um, not clear as you're reading through it? Part of the reason that I'm encouraging you to read through the book of Mark, in fact, we'll read the rest of it uh, for next week, um, is so that you can have a better understanding of the gospel, but not only that, so that when you come across a person who is um, unsaved or maybe a new believer, this is a great book to take them through because it's pretty straightforward, right to the point, talks a lot about what Jesus did, and doesn't get into a lot of the... uh, um, the, the details that can be confusing at times. So I think it's pretty uh, succinct. It's straight to the point. So it would be good for us to ask questions as we go through it so that if someone else is reading through it, you know, an unsaved person or a new, a new believer, they, they'll definitely have questions for you. So we should be asking questions ourselves. Jim? There were... Yeah, part of it was part of it was that I think there are two reasons why he used parables um, in his ministry. One was to conceal the truth from people who he didn't want to hear it, which would be the Pharisees and those guys who were already hardened in their heart, and giving them more truth would not have helped them anymore because they've already rejected Jesus Christ. So he said, um, they although they hear, they do not understand, and although they see, they do not perceive. And uh, I think there's, I think the Gospel of Matthew actually, I wish I had that verse handy, but um, it tells why Jesus gave the miracles or why he gave the parables. The other reason is so that the the disciples could understand. He spoke to them in parables primarily to conceal it from those he didn't want to have it, but also to explain truth to his disciples. Now, 
if you're like the disciples, and I definitely am, a lot of times you read these parables and you're thinking, what in the world is this talking about? What does he mean? No person sews an unshrunk cloth onto a, you know, and you're like, what is this? And that's why you find that the disciples would often ask Jesus in private. And, and you, you read, as you read through, you'll see that, that Jesus often would say, as he would get into a quiet place with his disciples, then he would explain what he meant. For instance, the parable of the sower, where you have the seed thrown on um, uh, hard soil, gets taken up by the birds, and then the seed on the rocky soil, then the seed on the thorny soil, then the seed on the good soil. And the disciples walk away from there going, what are you talking about? Um, and then Jesus goes on to explain it, which is helpful for us as well. So um, that's, that's a good question. I think that's the primary reason why he did that. In fact, in one verse um, in the Gospels, it says that Jesus never taught without speaking in parables. This is just the way he always did it. So um, I think that was partly to conceal his uh, the truth from those who who were rejecting it, and to uh, give it to those to explain it to those who needed it. So, yeah, Trish. Right. Right. Yeah. There's uh, there's no amount of of um, light that you can give to a blind person in order for them to see something clearly. And so, really, that's, it has to be a work of God that He does on their part. And so, um, in order to protect His truth and keep it from basically running off and, and turning into something that other than it is, He protected it from those, those savage wolves, really. Yeah, he says that several times. He says, "Are you still do you do you not understand the Old Testament scriptures?" Because the Pharisees of all people should have understood the Old Testament. They should have understood that they were looking for a Messiah. And and uh, Mike, did you have something to add to that? Uh, right. Yeah, it's a good example. Right. Well, this is uh, that's in chapter 13 of Matthew, um, verse 10. The, uh, the disciples came and said to him, "Why do you speak to them in parables?" That is that is the one I was thinking of exactly. Matthew 13. So that'll answer your question, Jim. Um, and then what you're talking about, I, I misunderstood you, Trish. Um, you're talking about when the disciples didn't understand it and they turned away. That was in Mark chapter 8. And that's um, a very intriguing passage. Turn turn there with me. I want to show you that really, really quickly and then we'll move on. Mark chapter 8, verse 14. And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was living, and he was giving orders to them, saying, "Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod." And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, "Why do why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not see 
or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? They said to him, Twelve. And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, Seven. And he was saying to them, Do you not yet understand? Okay, uh, that may not be the exact um, uh, story you're looking for, but this this gives the basic idea. See, they had all the truth there right in front of them. They had, I believe, been converted, at least 11 of them, obviously, had been converted to saving faith, but they still didn't understand. And that's why Jesus says, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. See, they, that's why Jesus goes back to these two miracles. He says, you remember at the feeding of the 5,000, how many baskets were, were uh, uh, brought up at the end? And he, they said 12. So they remembered the facts of the story, but what they didn't remember was the significance of it. Because now they find themselves in a boat out in the middle of the water with Jesus Christ in the boat with them and they say, oh boy, we only have one loaf of bread. What are we going to do? And Jesus is saying, what are you doing? Look who I am. I just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. I just fed 4,000 people and had plenty left over. And now you're worried about where your food is coming from. And uh, I think the point of that that passage, you're right, it it ends kind of abruptly and it kind of ends without really a satisfying ending. But I think the point of it is that Jesus is saying, you don't understand. He's using all these questions that are really condemning in nature. Look at verse 18. He says, having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear. And if your Bible's like mine, you have that in all caps, which means what? What does that mean? Does that mean he's yelling? What does it mean that it's all in caps? It means it's from the Old Testament, right? It means that it's from the Old Testament. So if you look at your footnote there, you'll see that it's from Isaiah, uh, or actually Jeremiah chapter 5. And this is what Jesus had been talking to the Pharisees about earlier. He's, He's saying, with regard to the parables, okay, so we'll tie all these together. He was saying, with even though you have eyes, you do not see. And even though you have ears, you do not understand. Now, we can understand that about the Pharisees. But when we get to the disciples, Jesus is saying, basically, you are acting like the Pharisees. That's why he says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. You're acting just like them. Do you have eyes and not see just like them? Do you have ears and not understand just like them? All right, so before I um, call an invitation here, let's uh, move on to our study. Um, we will uh, today. We're going to complete our study of Jesus's life, uh, where we have been learning the f- three facts about what any person must believe in order to be a Christian. So, first, Jesus is God's Son. You have to understand that Jesus is God's Son. That Jesus is God. That He has the authority over all things. Secondly, that He died on the cross as a substitute, and today we'll see that He physically rose from the dead. So the first thing I want us to see together is that the resurrection was predicted. Last week we learned that 
God's love for us is so amazing that He killed His perfect Son. So today I want us to begin by noticing that in addition to predicting His own death, Jesus also foretold His resurrection. Um, turn to Mark chapter 8 and verse 31. We'll see the first instance of that. As you're reading through this passage, you should have uh, noticed this as you're going through. Mark chapter 8 verse 31, Jesus predicts His death and His resurrection. Verse 31 says, And He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. The second uh, reference to His death and resurrection is found in Mark chapter 9 in verse 9. As they were coming down from the mountain, He gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Verse 31, he does it again. It says, For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. And the final and probably the most explicit uh, statement of Jesus Christ's prediction of his death and resurrection is found in chapter 10 and verse 32. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. And again, He took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and to the scribes. And they will condemn Him to death and will hand Him over to the Gentiles. They will mock Him and spit on Him and scourge Him and kill Him. And three days later, He will rise again. See, Christ clearly understood that He was going to die and be resurrected. I I think it was difficult, however, for the disciples to understand this. Because Jesus had spoken in parables so often, they never knew when He was speaking clearly to them. So, uh, one time in the Gospels, uh, when Jesus did speak clearly to them, they responded with, finally, now He's not speaking in parables. Now we can understand Him. Well, Jesus is speaking clearly here. He brings them aside, notice, and tells them that the Son of Man will be delivered to death. And they're thinking, what does this mean? What's the significance of it? And Jesus was predicting His death. So what we should notice about this is that the resurrection was not a reaction by God. God. God wasn't sitting up in heaven going, oh no, Jesus just died. What am I going to do? Oh, I got an idea. How about I bring him back to life? No. Jesus knew about it in advance, so it was predicted. It was it was known about and it was in God's plan all along. Okay? Any questions on that? On the resurrection predicted. All right. Let's look at the resurrection account itself. In Mark it's kind of short, but we'll read the whole thing. It's in chapter sixteen. Chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might come and anoint Him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. 
Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a, ro a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, and tr for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, although Mark's account of the resurrection is certainly the shortest, um, it does help us to understand the impact of what is taking place here. And uh, after his resurrection, there are at least ten separate occasions where Jesus appears to people. In fact, in Luke we find that Jesus appeared to over 500 people after he had risen from the dead. One example of those appearances is found in John chapter 20, verse 19. I'll read that for you. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the door locked for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, the question many of you may be asking to yourself is, if Jesus already died for our place, if He already paid for the sin, what is the importance? What is the importance of raising from the dead? Why couldn't He just stay dead? It's already paid for, right? In other words, what is the meaning of the resurrection? So that's what we're going to look at next, the meaning of the resurrection. The resurrection is meaningful for four reasons. First of all, by rising from the dead, Jesus declares victory over sin and death. Jesus declares victory over sin and death. You see, you're, even though he, he made the full atonement for our sins, that would not be a final atonement. He would have to continually offer Himself as a sacrifice if He did not have power over death. So what that did was it made our our victory over sin and death final. Our atonement was made complete. Was made complete. Sin was dealt with completely. No more guilt. God's wrath had been fully exhausted on His Son, and now it was completely paid for. And uh, Paul says it this way in Romans chapter four, verse twenty-five. He says he was delivered over to death for our sins, and was raised to life for our justification. You see, we could not stand rightly before God unless Christ did raise from the dead. And that's why the resurrection is so important. So that's the first reason why the resurrection is meaningful. The second reason is that by rising from the dead, Jesus shows us that those who believe in Him are united with Him and have been and will be resurrected. Okay, So those who are united with Christ have been resurrected in a sense. Because of our union with Christ, we have been resurrected. In what way can you think of that we are resurrected with Christ? Are we currently up in heaven with Him? Do we have part of us that's up there? No. What way are we resurrected? Okay, that's a picture of that, of the newness of life. That's what we say in baptism. We say, buried in the likeness of His death and raised to walk in newness of life or raised um, in likeness of His resurrection. And we do that because that is really what, what has happened in conversion. It doesn't happen at baptism. That's just a picture. It happens at conversion. We actually are raised to a new life. No longer do we have this uh, 
old man. The old man is, is our former self that's been put away. Now we have the new man, the, the new regenerate person that now can um, we have the ability to say no to sin. So in that sense, we are raised with Christ. We have that union with Him. But in another sense, we are not yet raised. And that obviously, that part of the resurrection will not happen until Christ returns or until we die, obviously. But Jesus' resurrection is important because He was the first fruits. Have you ever heard it said that way? I think it's stated that way in the Scriptures. Jesus was the first fruits of our resurrection. Because He was raised, we can be guaranteed that we also will be raised to life. If Jesus had not been raised, we would have no guarantee of being raised either. So, um, the, the meaning of the resurrection, uh, number two, is that it shows us that we have been unified with Him, having been raised with Him, and will be raised with Him. Number three, by rising from the dead, Jesus demonstrates His deity or His divinity and His power. Paul begins Romans this way. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding His Son, who, as to His human nature, was a descendant of David, and who, through the Spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the Son of God. How? How, Paul? How was Jesus declared with power to be the Son of God? He says, by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, Though He was crucified through weakness, yet He lives by the power of God. So Christ is raised to defeat sin and death once for all and to show that Christ truly is God. Because who else has power over death? Obvious answer, no one. Only Christ, only God does. So Christ is God. He shows His power. He shows that He is God and He shows that He has power. That's the third reason. The fourth reason is that the resurrection is essential to saving faith. It is essential to saving faith. Romans chapter 10. That's why we have it on our little stool here. Oh, not yet, but we will. Um, that's the third leg of our stool. That the You have to understand that Jesus Christ was raised. You have to believe it. That's what 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says. Um, it said, We... Um, I've delivered unto you that which was of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and was raised according to the Scriptures. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It says, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You see, it is essential to saving faith. And only a living Savior has final triumph over the effects of sin. And only a living Lord can save. Not a dead one. There's lots of religions out there. You, you can think of, of friends and loved ones who follow these religions who follow after a dead God. Someone who has no power over death. Who has uh, no likeness to God Himself. But they follow Him. We follow a living Savior. A one who has power over death and only a living Savior can save. That's kind of redundant. But the point is, only a living Lord can save. 
And uh, so Saving Faith incorporates this idea. All right, so what is the significance of it? Because um, obviously we can understand the meaning of it. In fact, any person can understand the meaning of the resurrection. But what is its significance for us? There's, uh, there's four things that I want to, want to show us here. Let's turn to Acts chapter 10, and we'll have to go quickly. Acts chapter 10. This is Peter, and uh, this is the same Peter who confessed Christ before Jesus' first prediction of his death. He said, I know that you are the Son of God. Peter, who do you say that I am? He says, I know that you are the Son of God. Um, Acts chapter 10, verse 39. Peter's been speaking to Cornelius and his relatives and close friends. And notice that Peter is recounting things that Jesus commanded him to teach. Look at verse 39. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach the, to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. So the first significance, significant thing that we see about the resurrection is found there in verse 42. See, at the end it says that the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. The first thing we see is that all people will be raised. The living and the dead. The Bible looks to a day when all people of all ages will be raised. And this isn't necessarily good news because this will include more than just believers. John 5 says, Don't be amazed at this, referring to the judgment. For a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise and live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. And then later in the book of Acts, Paul is on trial uh, before Felix, the governor. And he says, I believe that everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So what we need to understand is that because of Christ's resurrection, all will be raised. Okay, And we'll see what what that means for us because I don't want you to think that all will be raised to life. Obviously, John says that. Some will rise and live and others will rise and be condemned. So the second thing that we see as a significant part of the resurrection is that all people will then be judged by Jesus. You notice at the end of verse 42, it says, "...to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge over the living and the dead." We are not simply free agents on this earth, meaning we have no accountability to anyone. Someday we will give an account to God for what we've done. And so Romans 2.6 says that God will give to each person according to what He has done. And the resurrection... Uh, of Jesus Christ challenges us to consider not only His death but also the effects that it has on us. That His death and our death really is not the end of it all. Once we die, it doesn't, we don't just cease to exist. 
Romans 16 reads, This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secret through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. And 2 Timothy 4.1 says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. So first of all, all people will be raised. And then secondly, all people will be judged. And then third, we come uh, to the next significant thing about the resurrection. And that is that all people will be divided into two groups. So, we are going to be judged by Jesus and He will divide them, the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, the good and the evil, uh, those who believe in Jesus and those who reject Him. Mark 8.38 reads, If anyone is ashamed of Me and My words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of Him when He comes in His Father's glory with the holy angels. So judgment will follow and the basis for the division is whether or not we're willing to be uh, standing with Christ now. Okay, and, for, and I think that brings us to our fourth point and that is that the division that Jesus uh, makes there at the judgment will be forever. That division is forever. There's no concept of a second chance in the Bible after death. We don't come to our death and realize, oh, now I understand. There's Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as man is destined once to die, after that, the judgment. The life we have now is our one and only opportunity to believe and follow Jesus. So, your attitude to Jesus in this life is the same attitude that Jesus will have toward you at the final judgment. So if you accept Him now, He will accept you then. If you reject Him now, He will reject you then. So, we come to the conclusion. That is that uh, clearly the resurrection has significant, tremendous impact for us. It's, it's very important. When Christ rose from the dead, God was in effect saying that, that Christ's work of suffering and dying on the cross, that work was completed and that now Christ stands as the authority. He stands in judgment over us. And that no longer did He have to remain dead. He didn't have to continually pay for those sins. He paid for them once for all. It's a sacrifice that we no longer have to make. Um, so in the resurrection, we could say it simply, that Christ is victorious over sin and death. He has power. He is God. So there is the final pillar. We have Jesus, the Son of God. We have Jesus, the Crucified. And then Jesus... Oh, this is a tough angle. Jesus, the Resurrected. Those are the three key elements to understanding the saving faith. We have to understand them and believe them in order to to be saved. Let, let me close with... Uh, two Scripture references. Romans chapter 6. You see that on your sheet there. It says, For knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for He who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. 
Revelation chapter 20, verse 6 says, Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. Let me make one more point and then I'll open up for questions. Sometimes we think, since everybody will be raised from the dead, that people who go to hell are actually living forever too. They have immortality just like we do. See, right now our bodies uh, were designed that we were not immortal, that we cannot, that we will die, that it's every single person will die, say those who are, are raptured. But when we think of unsaved people, we think, well, they get to live forever too. How do they get to live forever? But really, they are not living forever. What are they doing? They're dying, They're dying forever. Right? That's why we call it the eternal death. It's that they have this eternal separation from God forever. And not only are they dead spiritually forever, they're also suffering forever in their physical bodies. So, um, the, the, uh, the pleasure that we have, the privilege to be able to stand with Christ on His side and take on His immortality is a great one. And that only can happen because of the power of the resurrection. What a great thing that God did on our behalf. Any questions on, on the resurrection or what that means for us? Alright. Next week, what I'd like you to do is finish up reading Mark. So that's chapters 11 through 16. And I think you'll really enjoy these chapters. You've probably read them before, but they're, it's always good to re, be reminded of what Jesus Christ went through. Mark chapters 11 through 16. And then write down any questions or comments that you'd like to discuss, and we'll do that together. Um, let's close with a word of prayer, and uh, we'll thank God for what He's done for us in the resurrection. Lord, we thank You for Jesus Christ. We certainly have no ability to pay for our own sins. We are, um, we are, we fall in submission to you. That you have to do that work on our behalf. There's no amount of goodness or works that we can do to take care of our own sin. Only Jesus Christ could do so. And we're thankful for your perfect plan, how he died on the cross and and rose from the dead, and that he ever lives to intercede for us. That he is the first fruits of our resurrection and we look forward to the day when we can shed these earthly sinful uh, 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 disease torn bodies and we can put on a glorified body and be able to serve you in righteousness and pure uh, holiness we look forward to that day when we can worship you forever not marred by any sin pray that you'd help us to live in light of that. We pray it in our Savior's name. Amen.